if you have never had the opportunity to, to preach in front of your church family, um, there, there are some different ways of approaching it. One of them is like Kyle or even Jeff, where you're doing it on a fairly regular basis. You can just exegetically go through a book, and so you know where you're going to be because you are just in the next pericope that you're dealing with, and, and that's what you teach. Well, when you're an elder and you preach sporadically, you would spend so much of your time trying to bring people back up to speed with where you were six months ago that you tend to, to say, okay, now i got to find something that I'm going to preach on. What I have found, and certainly today um, fits that, is I found that those areas where, where I'm currently dealing with something or something where I'm learning something are by far the places that I really need to go to because that's where my mind is, has kind of been traversing over a period of time. So keep that in mind as we go through this passage today. And my hope is that it will be practical for you in the same way that it's incredibly practical for me. So let's pray. Father, as we look into your word today, God, I would ask that uh, you would just hide me behind your word and the cross, that uh, we would learn what it is you would have us do in our own personal lives. God, that uh, you would give us, through your Holy Spirit, the opportunity to understand this passage better. Amen. This is, a, this is a passage which is probably familiar to, to some of you. At least portions of it are familiar to you. So let's read the passage and then try to take it apart and figure out what is God telling us through this. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We're really going to spend our time uh, looking at the very end of that passage, but let's, let's look at it in, in total here a, a little bit first. And uh, is... Wayne's not here, is he? I was going to pick on him because Wayne would tell you that there are three things that are important when you look at Scripture. And they are context, context, context. And so if we don't look at the context here, if we don't try to figure out what this passage is initially dealing with, um, we can get way off base and, and never get to where we should get to. So basically, it, it, the passage breaks down into three areas. The battle is not physical, it's spiritual. So we're dealing with a spiritual battle. The battlefield is in our minds and in our thought life. And the battle is ultimately 
over truth, the truth of God versus the truth of man. So we want to, we want to look at this, and we're going we're gonna to really look at it in two different ways, um, but we want to look at it thinking about that this is a spiritual battle that our minds have to engage with. If you look at the words, and you know, I thought about this this morning. I'm going to use two Greek words in the context of this sermon. Do you realize how intimidating that is in this church? I counted up. There's five or six men in this church who have studied Greek and Hebrew. And so you go to pronounce those words, and um, I can look around, and I'll be able to tell whether I've hit it close or I have absolutely adulterated it by their reactions. But um, the first one is a word, logismoi. And this is really, and, and I'm going to read, is it bad? What is it? Oh, okay, it's that. Um, but I'm going to read a definition for it here to help us get an idea of, of what we're dealing with. They're idolatrous constructions that provide alternative accounts and answers to the fundamental questions of life. These logismi are spiritual strongholds to be destroyed because they're taking people captive and away from God. So the, the basic context here and, and what Paul is getting at is dealing with worldviews, our modern day word, worldviews that are contrary to what Scripture says. And so in that context, um, we need to keep some things in mind. One of them is, go back to the three aspects of the passage. It's a spiritual battle. The battlefield is in our mind, and it's over truth. So now we're talking about worldviews that are contrary to what Scripture says. Those worldviews have to be dealt with according to this passage, and we as believers are the ones who have the responsibility to do that. If you look at verse 5 in our passage, it says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now we're going to come to the second word, which I'm really going to butcher, I think. And that is, we have this responsibility to take these contrary views captive. And the word is... Eichmala Kaizo. Close? Nate didn't even look up on that one, so I'm afraid it's really bad. But, but this, this Greek word, and the only reason it's helpful for us to know those words is to, to understand contextually what are these words, what were they really referring to rather than how we sometimes pablomize them as uh, 
we put them in, in more modern terminology. So what do we use in order to take these false world views captive? Because this captive word here says it's like taking a prisoner of war. So be thinking about taking a prisoner of war as we look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So scripture tells us what we're supposed to do in taking these false worldviews captive like you would a POW. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes of the gospel, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. How do we get those pieces of armor? If you really think about it, think about truth, righteousness, gospel, faith, salvation, spirit. They're all things that are given to us. They're not things we go out and purchase. They're not things we intellectually get so intelligent with that we can manipulate to get there. They're pieces of armor that it says are successful to extinguish the flaming arrows that are given to us. When? They're given to us when we're saved. The youngest believer here and the oldest old codger like me were given those pieces of armor at exactly the same time. And all of those pieces of armor are available to all Christians. I want you to think about those pieces of the armor. If you think about them, sword, shield, breastplate, uh, helmet, a couple things come to mind. Number one, they're all worn on the front. They're all things which we have to protect us. First of all, that means we should never turn our back and run away because we're not protected. But secondly, it tells us we're not supposed to be this shrinking violet that stays away from these things. Instead, we're covered with this armor. We're to advance in that process. Now, I don't think that means we're to be obnoxious. 
I don't think that means we're to be arrogant, but we're to be confident that we have the right pieces of armor to destroy the strongholds. Now, remember what the, the basic context of this is? It's, we're talking about worldviews here in this portion of it. So this means that we're supposed to be using this armor to have a frontal assault on those worldviews which are contrary to what Scripture says. Is that how we tend to do it? When we come up against um, a Mormon, when we come up against uh, a Muslim, when we come up against a secular humanist, because that's every bit as much a religion, is that what we tend to do? Do we take it, tend to take it on frontally and say, wait a minute, this is who Jesus is. This is what he did. This is who God is. You know, J.O.'s thing of God, man, Christ response. Um, using those tools to confront that worldview that is contrary to what Scripture says. I don't know about you, but all too frequently, uh, I find myself wanting to kind of fade into the, the scenery. You know, I, I, I don't want to make a big splash here. Uh, I, 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 boy, I, I'm, I certainly don't want to get into an, an argument that I'm going to get embarrassed by. Wait a minute. This tells us that we have a spiritual battle, and it's not ours. The spiritual battle is God's. Christ has proven through his life and resurrection that he wins. So I think we need to be far more bold and far more confident in saying, now, wait a minute, I'm a Christian, and here's what Scripture says. I have, I've spent some time studying different systematic theologies. And what you will find in almost all of the systematic theologies is they begin with the veracity, the truthfulness of Scripture. Why is that? That's because unless you can agree that Scripture is truth, you, you aren't going to develop any theology at all because you have to come to a point of saying, this is truth. We have a terrible problem in our world today, and that is postmodernism has put us in a position where truth becomes relative. And we say, well, you know, that can be true for Dave, but it doesn't have to be true for me. Now, that's, that's not what Scripture tells us. It tells us that there is one truth, and we had better get that one truth right. And if we do, we then can destroy those strongholds. And now we're going to switch gears just a little bit because that is the, I think, the most accurate depiction of, of the specifics of this passage. But what we find in Scripture is frequently passages have more than one application. They don't have more 
than one meaning. They don't have more than one truth, but they sometimes have more than one application. And almost all of the authors that I went to eventually got to this application as well. And this is what I'd like us to spend most of our time on today. Keep in mind that these same things are true for working with worldviews and, and disparaging concepts of who God is, but in that alternate application, we're going to look at what does this mean for our individual personal thoughts. Not so much worldview differences, but thoughts as well. I have an admission to make, and I think I'm going to find this, this uh, is consistent for all of us. You ever have those times where just an absolutely rotten thought pops into your mind? I see lots of nods. I think all of us struggle with that same thing. And you think to yourself, where in the world did that come from? You know, I, here I was going along, just thinking fine, and all of a sudden this purulent thought pops into my mind, and I'm going, this is absolutely ridiculous. Sometimes it's a thought about our past. Sometimes it's a lustful thought. Sometimes it's a vengeful thought, getting retribution at somebody. somebody it's, sometimes it's an angry thought. Sometimes it's pride. I, the, the list could go on and on. But these thoughts come and they pop into our minds. But we can choose to not deal with those thoughts. If we look at uh, 1 John 2, verse 16, for all that is in this world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. So we know that these rotten thoughts are coming from something other than God, and we need to deal with them. So you think about, where do the thoughts come from? Wouldn't we all be a lot happier if the answer to that was Satan? You know? Uh, anybody remember Flip Wilson, who said, the devil made me do it? I mean, that, that would let us off the hook, right? I, hey, not my fault. Those thought, Satan put those thoughts in my mind. I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, but uh, it, Satan himself, first of all, he's locked in time and space, you know, all those kinds of things. He's not omnipresent. Uh, he doesn't have to worry about Dan. Dan screws things up well enough on his own that I don't even think he has to send his minions there. But as you think about those thoughts, think about those prideful, lustful, rotten thoughts, where do they come from? They come from our flesh. They come from me. And I hate to admit that, 
And I hate to, to feel the responsibility for that, but when I look at the sins that I struggle with, they're almost always sins of the flesh. So let's, let's look at an example from Scripture. I think probably one of our best examples is David. Okay? David's this boy. He comes to the battlefield. Everybody is cowering in fear over Goliath, right? He looks at them. He gets pretty ticked at them, actually, I think. And he looks at them and says, wait a minute, the battle's the Lord's. And he goes out and slays Goliath. So, so he absolutely took that thought captive and said, wait a minute, this isn't my responsibility. God is the one who's going to slay Goliath. So he's a wonderful example, right? <laughs> yeah. So now we go forward. He's up on his roof. And he sees a woman taking a bath. And it leads to not only immorality, but it leads to death as well. So on, in one instance, he was very successful at understanding this is God's battle. In another instance, he finds himself failing tremendously in how he handles his thought life. Only the oldest of us in here will probably know who this is, but there was a cartoon character called Pogo. Okay, anybody remember Pogo? Yeah, I knew Paul would. He's... But he says... We have met the enemy, and who is it? It's ourselves. It's me. I have met the enemy, but it's me. So, a question I would have for us is, is the thought sin? Now, before you answer that, let's look at some things and make a determination. Matthew 5.27 says, You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he's saying it doesn't have to be the physical act. It doesn't have to be what you really do. It's your thought about that that's the sin. I have frequently referenced a really close friend of mine from this pulpit and from Sunday school class. His name is Sam. He's a mechanic. He's the best amateur theologian I have ever met in my life. And he and I were discussing this as, as I was uh, getting ready for this sermon. And he said, you know, I spent years and years and years incredibly defeated about the fact that these thoughts would pop into my mind. He said, and, and he got to the point where the sermon was going anyway, but he said, so it was a terrible experience for me because I, he said, I could be reading my Bible 
And all of a sudden, this rotten thought would just pop into my mind. So let's look at another passage in Scripture and try to determine what the circumstance really is. And that's James 1, 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived birth, has been conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So here's what I would tell you based on that passage. It is not the thought that pops into your mind that is the sin. That's why our passage tells us to take every thought captive. When does it become sin? It becomes sin when we take that thought and place it in that pot on the back of our brain and just let it simmer for a while. And we ruminate on it and we think about it instead of dealing with it when that thought comes into the forefront of our uh, observation of what we're thinking about. So, the passage tells us that we are to take every thought captive. Remember that military word of taking captive? This is, this is the making it a prisoner of war, physically overcoming it. You know, when, when somebody is taken captive as a prisoner of war, it's very seldom because the person taking them captive sang a nice song and was really pleasant to them and just said, hey, wouldn't it be nice if you became a captive of mine? No. They came and with force, they, they took them captive. That's why it's a military term. And it's the same thing we're supposed to be doing with our thoughts here. This isn't a, um, well, maybe it's not. No, this is a, wait a minute, that's not supposed to be there. That thought is supposed to be gone. So a question I have is, so can we just forget about the thought? Just pretend that the thought never came? No, I mean, it's the same thing with taking that POW. You know, if, if uh, they come to take you POW, uh, matter of fact, those of you who remember uh, Jerry Singleton being here, who was in the uh, Hanoi Hilton for seven and a half years, he couldn't just forget about the fact that he was a POW. He was being absolutely controlled by that which had taken him POW. And it's the same thing for us with our thought life. We are to take those things captive and, and not in a pleasant way. We're to be, I think we should be genuinely angry about them and we should find ourselves absolutely doing whatever we can to eliminate that thought from our minds. I thought about, uh, about trying to find an example for this. Barbara and I have a, um, a hot tub and swim trainer. And once a year, 
I have to drain it. It's 2,100 gallons of water. So, I mean, it's a huge amount of water. And then um, water supplies aren't great out by our house, but I have to fill it back up with 2,100 gallons of water. The first two or three times I filled it, but when, I, when, when the water would get all in there, you know, the water coming out of the hose looked pretty decent. But when I got all of that water in, in one area, it was actually pretty nasty. The, you know, it was cloudy and there were particulates in it and stuff. So I finally decided I was going to beat this. And I made a filter system that hangs on the outside hydrant that runs it through a charcoal filter. So the water comes in, goes through the filter, and gets to the pool. You know what? When I fill the pool now, the water's actually pretty clear. I, I still use chemicals in it and stuff afterwards, but it comes out pretty clear. Why is that? It's because it went through the filter and it took the junk out of it. What's well, the same thing with our thought life? We need to have this filter that is going to take the junk out. Do you remember what the things were that, that were the filter as it was for worldviews? Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of the gospel, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. They're exactly the same things for our individual thought lives. We need exactly the same armor in our thoughts as we do when we think about conflicting worldviews. So we need God and Scripture to allow us to take those thoughts captive. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Or Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By that testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is his good and acceptable and perfect will. So, we're not helpless victims of our thoughts or are we recipients of our thoughts they come but we're to deal with them and not allow them to take up residency in our brain that he that uh, passage talks about renewal of our mind and renewing our minds is probably the most significant thing we do in that process of dealing with our thoughts. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, 
enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. So let's try to talk about some practical ways that we can take thoughts captive. We counter those rotten thoughts with gospel-oriented, scripturally accurate thoughts. But here's the problem. You can't bring those thoughts to mind if you don't know them. That's why, as believers, we are continually through our whole life on this, this journey of learning more about who God is, how he functions, what his requirements of me are. Um, I almost hate to, to even mention this name in church because some of you might have apoplexy, but, but Zig Ziglar, okay? And, and, I, and I liked a lot of the things that Zig Ziglar said. One of the things he said one time was he said, you know, if you get a, if you get a dump load of trash dumped into your mind, it takes, I don't remember what he said, seven loads or 11 loads of good stuff to overcome that. Barbara and I had that as a personal experience. We went to um, a marriage seminar that our church put on, unfortunately, and um, the guy who was speaking said some absolutely, in my opinion, ungodly things. One of them being about how we needed to forgive God for certain things, you know. So I went kind of nuts. But um, so when we left, we went to three of the four nights or whatever. When we left that, the last one we went to, I said to Barbara, I said, I feel like I've had a load of trash dumped on me. So we decided right then, actually, that was the night that she and I decided we were going to begin to, on a regular basis, attend Ligonier conferences to hear good concepts to try to undo what we thought were ungodly ones. But, but it is that concept. We need to have good things put in to counter those bad thoughts that come. I think one of the most important things is understand what are the circumstances or situations where you are most susceptible. And I'll tell you what they are for me, and I'm going to guess they are similar for you. One of them is television. Um, we allow things to come in through television that we would never allow on our own. A second one is your computer. And I, I remember one time Barbara and I were at an evangelism thing, and a guy talked about the unholy search of just, well, I, I need to know what people, you know, or I need to know what this article is about, and things which we have no business. That's one of the times we were really weak. Another time, certainly true for me, is 
when we're alone. Uh, that's why uh, frequently in Scripture, the night is given such uh, a preeminent position in rotten things is because people tend to be alone and, and they're not engaged in other things. But there's some things that I'd like us to remember as we think about are we going to and how are we going to take our thought life captive. The first one is if you try to do it on your own power, I will guarantee you, you will fail. Um, that's that, that thought of, well, maybe I'll just forget the thought. Maybe I'll just not pay attention to it. If we don't use what's available to us to counteract that thought which comes, we will fail. I, I'm a personal example of that. That isn't, a, that isn't a sound way of trying to deal with it. Put on the armor that's available to you. God has made the ability to deal with it readily available to you. There are all things which he freely gives, and when we either don't put them on or forget that we have them on, we deal very poorly with the situation. But you know what that requires? That requires trusting the armor. I think, I think sometimes we know that God has provided us with these things, but we don't really trust that they're going to be sufficient to deal with the problem that we're going through. That thought comes into our mind, and we say, oh yeah, wait, here's, here's a biblical counter to that. But we don't really think that the biblical counter to it is sufficient to overcome the thought that we were dealing with. We also have to remember, we must depend on his power. Now that can, that can sound like, a, well, I don't have to do anything now. We still have to work and we, we still have to do all those things, but we have to absolutely depend on his power. It's the same way in what we were talking about with worldviews. If we go into the worldview discussion thinking that by clever concepts and a golden tongue, we can overcome this wrong concept of who God is and how the world functions, we will fail because we're not nearly as intellectual and as capable as our ultimate opponent. But if instead we realize the battle is God's, this is, this is his responsibility. You know, uh, don't you think sometimes we find ourselves in a position where we look and we say, 
boy, I'd really like to defend Christianity in this circumstance, but boy, it, I don't know. Um, what they're saying sounds pretty good. Instead of saying, no, wait a minute. I know what the truth is. And God is the one who is the arbiter of that truth and is the one who is going to win the argument. I don't care whether the physical argument right then, I really don't care how it ends. What I care about is God ultimately wins. And um, just like in any circumstance, the changing of the other person's mind isn't nearly as much our responsibility as the Holy Spirit's responsibility. And until the Holy Spirit puts a heart of flesh in them, all of our words are going to be of naught anyway. The other thing is, think about your thought life. Don't just kind of sweep it aside. Genuinely think about it. When those thoughts come into your mind, realize you have the armor you need. The victory is ultimately God's. The responsibility is God's. And therefore, you do not have to, as Sam was for years, be defeated by the thought that comes in to your mind, but rather you can have success by taking every thought captive. So that's what I'd like to leave you with. Take every thought captive. See if it's a thought that is honoring to God. And if it isn't, use the armor that God has provided and renew your mind through his word that you might genuinely know what is good and profitable. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. Thank you for the fact that we don't have to lament over those things that happen to us, but instead can confidently and boldly go forward in a way that lets us know that um, as our sovereign God, you are in control of what goes on in our minds as well as the physical things around us. And God help us that uh, when those thoughts do come or when we run into worldviews that are contrary to you, that we would trust you, that uh, you would, in fact, be the victor. We thank you for that in your son's name. Amen.